Welcome to season three of Diary of a Pandemic. Diary of a Pandemic is a personal development podcast that lives at the intersection of two framing truths. The first is that there's a global pandemic happening as we speak. The second is that unconditional freedom is freedom in all conditions. Two transformational coaches, Kianga Ford and Rachel Paz, set out to explore the path to unconditional freedom in the context of living in unprecedented times and meeting whatever the Rona brings with full responsibility for what it wants to teach us about how to get free. A couple of months into this project, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis on top of a growing list of incidents of police violence against people of color. While our lives were quieted by the context of Corona, this captured our collective attention and led to widespread action around the deeper issues of systemic racism. As a black woman and a white woman, we have different vantage points on this moment. And we think there's a contribution to be made here by taking a deeper look at race through those perspectives. For the next 21 days, we'll be having an unscripted conversation about race, what's present in our lives around it, and what is our work to do to make possible a new conversation that leads to freedom for all. Rachel and I are here for day three of 21 days on race. And um, we're just kind of bouncing between the things that are happening in our own personal lives and what we see happening in the larger cultural context and the larger cultural horizon. And I actually have just this moment, a couple of moments ago, come out of a pretty intense workshop called Unconscious Power, Healing Oppression in Intimate Relationships by Danny Morris and Stellar Dutcher. Um, and I wanna make sure that they get credit up there at the beginning because I'm gonna refer quite a bit to what they've said today. But the, the thing that it makes me want to talk about is what's the face of the conversation about race? Who gets to participate? Who gets to lead here in terms of new ideas, in terms of offering education? And <clears throat> the two leaders that I just mentioned are both white. One is male, one is non-binary. And they just did a 90 minute workshop with about 40 participants that was incredibly impactful. And Rachel and I were here yesterday talking a bit about someone challenging us on who gets to be the face of this education in this moment and shouldn't it really be me with Rachel as a secondary or just me? Shouldn't it be people of color who are leading the conversation about race and um, systemic racism, systemic oppression, and I'm gonna move forward with a no. I don't think we can afford to go that slowly. I think that it's a real on all hands on deck kind of moment and that there are ways for us to build in sensitivity, but I think orthodoxy in this moment could be really limiting if we believe that insight can only come from oppressed bodies. Um, I think we, we miss something about sharing the burden of responsibility and about bringing all of the 
insight and intellectual capacity and power for innovation that we need in this moment to move it forward for everyone. If we imagine that everyone in, in America needs a racial re-education at some level, right? Even if it's an education around having what you've previously been excluded from, that includes all white people and all people of color. We can't do that with a small team of specialists. We need everybody on board. We need everybody on deck. So that's the thing that we want to talk about today. And I think along the way, I will probably share some of their, their insights because I thought they were just really potent. But uh, <laughs> Rachel's usually setting up our recording functions when we start. So I thought today I would not talk about the weather, but in fact, launch us in <laughs> to today's discussion while she was working on that. So First, let's see, Rachel, what do you have that you want to uh, share in the lead up? What do I have that I want to share? Well, you know, in our um, fields of expertise, right, around intimacy and creating depth and connection and relationship, you know, you mentioned this yesterday, if we're segregating groups of Black people and groups of white people to like all go talk about race on our own, we're, we're not we're not actually available to have the, the conversation and the witnessing and the co-creation that's required when all the voices come to the table. And so, and I also really appreciate what you said about whose, whose responsibility is this moment, right? Who's, whose thing is this to hold? Whose thing is this to shift? And, um, and if, if, if it really is, and I, and I believe that it is, I, well, hmm, hmm. <laughs> I believe it is a shared responsibility of all of us, right? But I believe that um, more than ever, right, white people need to be stepping up to the table and saying, I care about this enough to do something about it. And, um, and to do that, our, our voices have to be... Um, Um, accessible. Yeah, I think accessible is a a great a great uh, word to use. I'm trying to remember. I've, I've been having so many conversations on this topic, and Rachel and I have so many conversations in general and on this topic. That I'm like, Rachel, were you the one that said to me? So then what happens when I have something to say? Mm -hmm. I guess right. like yesterday. What happens if mm -hmm. I have something valuable to contribute? Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't know the answer, right? <laughs> I, I've been in a couple of conversations where um, I've said, hey, like, I, I actually have something to offer here and not like I have, I have all of the answers and the solutions, but I have something to contribute here that, um, you know, and you referenced this yesterday, I think the victim triangle, right? There's, there's a way that the, that we can choose in this moment, whether we are collectively going to play on the victim triangle or whether we're all going to take personal responsibility for our own experiences and and shaping the way forward. And, you know, I've, I've been, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago where I was offering to give a presentation to a group of 
ladies of mixed backgrounds um, about this particular thing. And, and it was shut down. It's like, you are not the person to be talking in this moment. And I was really clear that um, whether the thing I had to share was valuable or not, because I was a white woman, it was not, um, it just wasn't going to be heard at that moment. And there's a way that um, I have some, like I, I can respect that desire, um, but I also think a lot gets lost. I was thinking about this in the context of the workshop that I was just in, and it occurs to me as a kind of um, desire for temporary control, mm. right? Uh, but it's modeled on mm, it's modeled on the power dynamic of oppressor and oppressee. Mm -hmm. right? Like one has control, one has voice, one gets to speak, one does not. So if like I can temporarily put you on mute, then I can be the one in control. I can be the one who gets to speak. And maybe that's seen as legitimate because for so long, symbolically, I speak a lot in general, but symbolically, I have not been the one that has a voice who gets to speak. And that inversion keeps the oppressor oppressed dynamic in place, right? I understand that we are feeling collectively compelled to some correction, but I don't think that that is actually sustainable correction. I think it uh, ends up perpetuating our unconscious and largely internalized um, power dynamics, right? If, if only in temporarily inverting them. And I say temporarily because that's not a long-term fix, right? That's just gonna create resentment and uprising on the other side. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the balance of this privilege that we're all talking about, that is a voluntary stand down, right? If you are asking voices of privilege to be eclipsed, they're only going to be eclipsed to the extent that they consent to that. And as soon as they remove consent, it doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's a, there is a dance. There's a dance of both volunteerism and also some um, societal policing that's happening right now around uh, heightened attention attention to the thing where people might be willing to self-contract in the moment, right? Kind of self-restrict in the moment. But when that I goes away, people don't want to feel restricted, constricted, limited, without voice, without the ability to contribute. So it's not a sustainable long-term game. Well, and fundamentally, it's not the thing that you or I stand for, right? <laughs> no. I'm not willing to live my life that way. I don't want you to live your life that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so, you know, we're looking at, at some correctives in the moment. You know, there have been some places we could go anywhere with this on any day. So I'm going to try to stay in my rails a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to try to stay in my rails. But it reminds me of another mutual friend who stood up a few weeks ago 
online and said, I'm a racist and she's a white woman with business and she's a coach and she was just really trying to see what was made available when she took that stand. Mm -hmm. And in supporting her in that stand, I also shared, hey, I appreciate this. And that's not someplace I wanna see you stay, right? That's not a declaration where I want us to get culturally stuck because the identification of oneself as the oppressor has a limit. It has a, and it has an exploratory value but as an ongoing identity, I don't think it's a win. Mm-hmm. All right, we have a few people who are joining us live and Kisito just said hello to us from Kampala. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> to know that there's a broad reach um, for people's interest. So I am wanting to share a little bit, um, a little bit of the nuts and bolts of what I just learned. And I, I want to share again, that what I'm about to say comes from a workshop called Unconscious Power, Healing Oppression in Intimate Relationships by Danny Morris and Stellar Dutcher. So make sure I get all of those words right. So they were actually talking about oppression in the context of intimate relationships. And I thought it was a a great way to um, kind of corral the conversation, but we could certainly see the larger implications of what they were talking about. And so they were having us look at really the person, the the dynamic being there's one person with more power and one person with less power. And that that's not fixed, that we might have more power in some ways and less power in other ways, right? So it, um, it has often been the case in my partnerships where I might be a woman in relationship to a man, and it might be possible to frame as I have less power as the woman in that relationship in relation to um, kind of the structure of privilege, which is more um, slanted toward maleness, right? But as was very often the case, I might have more education and more kind of cultural access than my partner right, which might give me more power in other ways. So we see it to be a variable field, right? Not that anyone is locked in the dynamic of less, less power always. Although you can have intersectional experiences that have you feeling um, multiple kinds of disempowerment or multiple kinds of empowerment. So I just wanna point to the complexity there. And here's the piece that was really um, insightful for me, that when we have the feeling that something's off, when we're in a moment of conflict, confrontation, uh, tension, challenge, that here's the kind of sequence of the things that need to happen. The person with less power needs to name the thing. Then the person with more power needs to agree to believe them. Then the person with more power needs to uh, agree to accept responsibility for what's happening in the moment. And the person with less power needs to not blame them for their actions. And I just thought, whoa, (laughs) there's, um, 
you know, I'm having a lot of these conversations and I could see the real value of that overlay in a conversation, right? It also kind of came out in the discussion that the person with less power has a responsibility for managing all of the past. So all of the history of their own experience feeling disempowered in this place, right? With an understanding that this moment is triggering something larger. So they can hold the something larger and the person with more power in the situation is going to hold full responsibility for what's happening now. I'm having an impact, even if I'm having an impact that didn't come from bad intention, I'm still having an impact. I'm willing to see that, to accept responsibility for it, to make changes as necessary. And it's obviously an oversimplification, but it felt like a really useful schematic to start to work with. And <laughs> as so often is the case, I came right out of that workshop to tell Rachel all about it. So <laughs> I had exactly 30 seconds between leaving the workshop and jumping onto a Zoom call with Rachel where we prepped for this conversation. And the question that came up right away is, okay, well, how does, how would a schematic like that work when I'm not the one, quote unquote, doing the oppressing, right? When I'm just someone listening to uh, situations that are occurring externally. So one of the things that we're always really committed to doing is modeling things on a micro level, modeling them at the level of what's actually happening in our own lives and exchanges and experience. So I think it's a great setup for what emerged next. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Kianga pointed back to um, an, um, an interaction that the two of us had about, what, what was it like two months ago? Mm-hmm. Um, before she, the official fire. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, where she was sharing with me um, an encounter with someone that to her felt, um, is racially charged a fair way to say that? Charged isn't quite the right word. It felt racialized. Racialized. Yeah. And... There's, there's a lot of detail in here. I'm going to try to articulate it well. Um, Kianga and I very often relate to each other in more of a felt sense than a, like, let me ask you about the facts of the thing. And there was something in me that felt like, so she described sort of the racialized nature of this interaction. And there was something in me that felt like that wasn't exactly it. Like her perception of the situation felt like, yes, maybe, and there's something else. And so instead of actually acknowledging that she had experienced the situation to be racialized, I was like, well, what if it's not the thing that you think it is? And we ended, I, like, mm, I'm, I don't want to speak for you. Would you, like to, would you like to share how you felt in that moment? <laughs> No, I'd actually love for you to keep going. I'll jump in if there's something that I like, I need to correct. 
So my perception of what happened next is the um, amount of hurt that was felt by interactions like that, where people like me skip over the truth of her description of the experience. And I learned that day. <laughs> I did learn. Um, and for me, it was a real yes and moment. Like it was a, it was a, an opportunity to touch like, yes, this, this part of your experience is absolutely true. And my skipping over it equates kind of a negation of it. And even, and the thing that I also offered may have also been possible in that moment. Um, <clears throat> and so, so when she was sharing about the framework, you know, and I was asking about, well, as the, you know, if you're not the one directly doing the oppressing, she brought me back to this situation and said, it, like the first step is that you have to agree to believe. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I can see now why it's funny because I immediately sort of jumped to the like, how do I take responsibility? Like if I'm the, if I'm not the direct oppressor, how do I take, how do I take hundred percent responsibility for what's happening right now? Um, and it was like, oh, I missed the part where <laughs> I sort of like sped ahead to the part where I like don't have to acknowledge the like believing the other person in that scenario. And um, for me, for me, I often sort of, um, and this isn't to defend this at all. It's, it's it, for me, it's a good articulation to be in the awareness of it. Um, sometimes those things are like, well, yeah, of course I need to do that. And so I do tend to like go to like, okay, but what's the thing I need to do in the moment, right? And, and so for me, it's like, a, no, you need to slow down and you need to make sure that not only that your belief of the person is like lived inside of you, but it also needs to be communicated and acknowledged out here. Mm. Yes. And my experience was like, I, there was a place where I understood you to be saying, okay, yes, it's all the things that you think it is and, right, but without the, without the acknowledgement of it is this, it has this kind of gaslighting experience where we're, we, people who are finding themselves in the situations of being the ones holding less power are constantly trying to describe something that's off that they can't articulate. And I have practiced articulation more than most humans on the planet, right? I really like to find ways to put words to the things that I'm thinking. And so if I'm giving my best efforts at analysis and articulation and they can't be heard, it's like a kind of crazy making, right? It's like, oh, I'm too smart to be believing that there's a pattern that's run over my entire life that doesn't actually exist, right? It's a, it's a kind of um, feeling of like intellectual insanity, right? It's like, mm. oh, but I know that I can actually create an analysis of a system, right? Mm. I'm not so triggered in the moment that I can't see what was happening. 
And so it brings me back to the actual first step, which is the person with less power has to be willing to name the thing, mm. right? And not to assume that so many times when I've said things like this, I haven't been heard, that I no longer say things like this, mm. right? Because then we can't actually get to the intimacy if I can't say like, wow, friend, I have really been craving this intimate connection and I got in a space with, with all the promise of intimacy, it was a virtual space. I got into this virtual space with all this promise of intimacy. And then I felt like people couldn't see me. I felt like the people that I was in front of couldn't see me because of race, because we haven't educated desire to include bodies like mine, right? Particularly in some of those spaces of play. And if the first response I get, if, well, what if that's, what if that's not, what if that's not what it is? What if that's not what's happening? Then I can't actually um, integrate that experience and I can't bring it into deepening intimacy in the friendship. Okay. And so these, these next couple of steps I think are, are more simultaneous, right? It's then the person with more power agrees to accept full responsibility right, for what's happening in the moment. And it's not that situation out there, it's the dynamic between the two of us. And I agree not to blame, but in fact, in this, in this instance, I had to agree not to blame in order to name the next level thing, which is, hey, you didn't hear me there. I don't think there's any malintent, but that has serious repercussions. If you, are the, if you are in this moment the person closest to me in the world and I can't tell you the things that I feel I'm experiencing, I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. And if I can't hear it, we're all in trouble. Yeah. So again, we're gonna go through 21 days and maybe draw zero conclusions. But we have some perspectives and we want to just be able to share deeper in the process. And so just to, to recap some of the things that feel important today, it's um, A, that process I thought was incredibly profound. And if I had said, hey, I'm only listening to people of color, to facilitators of color who are talking about this thing, I wouldn't actually have that to bring into this discussion today, right? So... I'm not saying don't include voices of color. I'm not saying don't prioritize perspectives of color. I'm saying if we make this exclusive, we're playing a real slow game and not one we're likely to win. Um, so I want to appreciate, I want personally to appreciate everybody who is jumping into this conversation with skills, tools, sincerity, generosity, it doesn't mean that I think just any old person should start teaching, but I don't think that any old person should start teaching regardless of where they come from demographically, right? There are tools to holding space. There are tools to teaching. Um, there are tools to helping people with integration. There, all of those things require a level of cultivated expertise and facilitation that you don't get just because you personally have been injured. Mm -hmm. 
right? And you don't not have access to, to them because you have been in a position of privilege, right? So nuance, 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 nuance is uh, kind of the thing that I, I, if I'm preaching anything, I'm preaching nuance. I'm preaching slowing down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to learn to do these in 15 minutes or less, maybe by day 17. <laughs> maybe it's just not a 15 minute conversation. <laughs> We'll see you back here again tomorrow for the next installment of Diary of a Pandemic, 21 Days on Race. If you want to connect with us with your questions, reflections, inquiries about working together, joining us live on the podcast, or really anything else, drop us an email at hello at becomingfreehumans.com or through the messaging function of whatever app you're listening to this on. <laughs>